Uh, Ishan, the original magic item you are proudest of making. Oh, that's easy. Heart Spark. Um, the magic item that I gave Brantelandro in Morning Glory that he promptly traded for Robes of the Archmage. <laughs> Live from the Mundangerous Hilltop Villa in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 350 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're celebrating slash lampooning eight years of the podcast with a brand new mailbag. And later, Clifford the Big Red Dog is larger than life in the Character Creation Forge. So... It we've we've missed some weeks, <laughs> a couple, a couple more than a couple, twice a couple. You've you've relocated to Italy. Uh, we and then I proceeded to catch all the Italian illnesses, all yes. the classics. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a kid who still hasn't slept through the night in a year and a half, in like almost I don't know fifteen months. So you know, like that that limits our ability to record. Uh, we you've had COVID. I've been sick. Uh, you know, it's just like, it's just the full gamut of everything that could go wrong, uh, in trying to record the one episode that is actually supposed to be fun and easy to record. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know what? Here we are finally, uh, sitting down, uh, with as is tradition for those of you who've not heard a mailbag in a while, uh, drinks in hand. Mm-hmm. Except that it's 5.30 in the morning your time and 11.30 on a Tuesday my time, p.m. So I'm drinking an ice-cold LaCroix. What are you drinking, Ethan? <laughs> all right, all right. So tradition, right, before life, you know, got in the way, was that we would drink something bad, right? We would go down to the local bodega and find the most ridiculous alcoholic drink uh, and split it. Um, I have tried to keep in theme with that right however um i'm in a new country so i do absolutely do not feel equipped to uh wander into a store pick up something off the shelf and uh make fun of it given that i have no cultural context okay so not going to do that however i have procured something that i think maybe is i think probably perfectly serviceable uh but maybe interesting and a little funny and uh, that is a hell beer. Okay. Uh, now, for those who know, and I did not, because uh, look, honestly, sure, I know what a half of is. I know what an IPA is, uh, but a hell, or maybe a, a hella or a hellas, mm -hmm. um, is a German beer. This, however, is not a German beer. This is an Italian beer. Uh, because I don't know if you've noticed, but lots and lots of beers are currently being brewed uh, in Italy because uh, there's a tradition here, but also it's uh, less expensive than doing it in a lot of places. It's it's a German style hell beer. Okay. Uh huh. Uh, and the brand is Pura, which you know it means pure, right? But all that means is to the uh, English reader, and honestly, I think to the Italian reader, which I think is the joke of this whole thing, is, is that this beer basically reads as pure gluten-free hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's also organic. It's 5.30 in the morning, and I'm going to crack this one open. That's, uh, I love that for you. Uh, I will be sticking, unfortunately, with LaCroix. 
<laughs> a LaCroix and NyQuil, so we're in a race. <laughs> All right, let's see how this goes. Oh, that tastes exactly like a $4 beer. <laughs> like a local variation on another country's obscurity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a doppelganger, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's absolutely no difference between that and... I don't know. What, what what would be something very comparable? A uh, blue moon. Oh god. <laughs> so it's a it's a beer that needs citrus, is that what I'm hearing? Uh actually that probably would be pretty good. Also, I haven't let it breathe, but I'm still recording in a little tent, so I'm not going to bother. Okay. <laughs> also, it it is pronounced Hellas, by the way. It, it is German. Great. <laughs> you pronounce every syllable, yeah. In Italy too. Uh, it's been, it's been fun for me to realize every single letter, uh, gets its time in the spotlight. Uh, all right. Shall we open up the mailbag? Let's do it. First question here is from Philip says, I've been using more published material, official and third party as my starting point for campaigns. So I don't have to brew up everything. You all seem to homebrew most of your campaigns, but I'm curious which published adventures you dig, if any. Official or third party, just looking for TPT recommendations. I mostly run 5e, but I'd be interested to hear about good published campaigns from other systems as well. Uh, And that is uh, basically the same question that Max asked when he says, thanks for all the awesome info over the years and for building such a fantastic community on Discord. Now we're at the end of 5e. What are your favorite official and third party adventures or campaigns? P.S. As a new father to a six-month-old, I don't know how y'all keep it going. I'm so tired. Oh, we do uh, not. Yeah, I'll answer that. Uh, we haven't. <laughs> it's, it's like we've, we've, we've hit the wall, uh, as it were. And th- th- this is why our schedule is a nightmare now. And it's unpredictable when our episodes are released. And um, life. Life is heartbreak hill. Yeah. All, all of life. All the time. And, you know, you dig deep and realize you have new reserves. No, no, you don't. You don't have new reserves. <laughs> you just tear your body apart to keep going. Right. That's all. So we feel you. We're right there with you. Uh, as far as 5e adventures are concerned, so it's a little bit cheating to use this one, but I really like Ghost of Saltmarsh, given that that's not actually an original 5e adventure. It's a port. Um, I don't know. says something about 5e adventures. Um, hey, I I had a feeling you might bring this up. Is it the adventure or is it the boat rules? It is not the boat rules. The boat rules okay. are fine. Um, they're not really that additive. But it is that the adventure is structured like, um, like an adventure, right? Like what I think of as an adventure, not this like pseudo campaign framework that so many of the 5e adventure paths turn into right like it just exists in its own form it's episodic and you move through it right like a published adventure should (laughs) um which i just very much appreciate that like it's the one that you just pick up and run (laughs) this the simplicity of that Mm mm-hmm yeah, the the way it used to be. Um, I think that's a good point. Like one thing Saltmarsh has going for it is, you know, like so many of these other campaign books, I won't call them paths, that Wizards has put out in 5e, it's a series of vignette adventures, right? Like 
one adventure for low level, one adventure for slightly higher level, slightly higher, et cetera. And you can run them all in a row with the same characters, but you don't necessarily have to, right? If you wanted to run them piecemeal or do one and branch out somewhere else, do a bit of homebrew, come back to it, um, or just, you know, take it out and stick it in a different campaign, you can. And like, they're all useful for being able to do that. But Mm -hmm. what happens is a lot of these adventures, if you do actually try to run them in order, the way that they are published in the book, it gets janky. Mm-hmm. Like they don't quite connect. They don't quite make sense. You got to change a lot of things. It, 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 and I think part of that is, you know, being the uh, spawned from the relative success of Tales from the Yawning Portal, which was, you know, a mishmash of old third edition and second edition modules put together and strung together and like kind of an adventure that kind of went together. Right. Everything else sort of went in that direction or went in the direction of like Avernus, descent into Avernus, where it was like, this isn't really an adventure path so much as it's a sandbox and you can go where you want and do what you want. Uh, but <laughs> kind of. But the, there's no help in like directing you in a, you know, in on a path. I think the earlier adventures in 5e were the ones that I liked more, even though a lot of times they suffered from some goofiness in the math and mechanics. Um, so, you know, the, you're out of the abyss, you're against the giants. No, not against the giants. Was it? Storm King's Thunder? Storm King's Thunder, that one. Uh, against the giants is like the old Greyhawk module, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right, like though, like that era of, of 5e adventure are the ones that I prefer. And I, I mean, I, we ran the opening, um, adventure of Out of the Abyss. We, I just ran it in, uh, Rogue Trader. Or in yeah, a Dark yeah. Heresy. So, like, I, you know, I, I use that adventure because um, I also like to start from there. Uh, so I don't have to make up a bunch of stuff at the beginning and then see what the party latches onto and, you know, let them kind of pick where they want to go from there. And then I kind of write the campaign. And because we're a home group, you knew that none of us had played out of the abyss. So we wouldn't recognize what was happening. Correct. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you can go back and listen to our actual play of uh, Sunless Citadel, right? Which, or, or even just if you go back and listen to the debrief episode for the first actual play, we go through a lot of the sort of like pros and cons of that particular module. But then, you know, it's broadly applicable to 5e adventures in general, but like what's good and what's not. Um, I'll throw out some caveats. Like a lot of the early, the big adventure paths are not good princes of the apocalypse not good doesn't really like have a story that hangs together doesn't really have oh yeah antagonists like that, one. that yeah. yeah um what's the other one what, what's the early one fendelver the, lost minds of fendelver is notorious for killing parties well that because that's because it has one bad encounter at the start i actually don't mind fendelver but like right off the jump you're, you're right like as, as a an adventure it's not all bad but you just you just got to watch out for that one yeah but it is the lead into the the tiamat storyline there uh uh rise of tyranny i also felt was like eh, eh. yeah no i didn't like i didn't like that uh so that the history of that adventure path is like a little weird because that was the one that was written by like uh sasquatch games but it was like being co-developed along with the final rules and so like there were gaps uh, and it kind of showed <laughs> like, and <laughs> yeah. that's where like the math is a little wonky. But then I think like the, the second, third, fourth adventures that they ran, like hung together a little better. Um, I think they also like were doing a lot less 
they had a lot fewer hands on the till in those earlier uh publications as well like it seemed like they just had less people involved and it was more of like a singular vision um which you know like you 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 get it as good as the designer had it, but at least you get what the designer wanted instead of what eight designers wanted in their own little piece. Yeah. With some later stuff, especially the ones that aren't supposed to be played like in a row, I'm thinking like Candlekeep Mysteries, um, Keys from the Golden Vault. Like those, those are very hit or miss because they're all standalone singular adventures that are just sort of arranged in ascending level order. Mm -hmm. Uh, so depending on the author, depending on the editor, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get like wildly different, not only play styles, but like success in terms of telling a story, but, but also like mechanics. Yep. Um, I'll give a shout out. It's probably not really what you're looking for because, you know, I think both of your seasoned players, but, um, you know, if you are relatively new or you're looking to run a low level game without doing too much prep work the the like starter adventures uh dragons of ice spire peak and the other one that is like the same thing it's levels one to three forget what it's called um does a really good job of sort of creating this small sandbox environment and then letting players go wherever they want and then manifesting consequences based on their actions within the module itself uh and then eventually funneling you toward like a a confrontation with like you know the dragon um and honestly like if you want to do a little bit of extra work it's actually not bad to take one of those and look at the structure of it as opposed to like just running it yourself and look how the different areas connect in terms of flow like it's basically like a flow chart and you can take that order of operations and use that for whatever you want because it it makes sense, you know, and you could even be like, you know, hey, I want to run a Baldur's Gate adventure because like I've been, everyone's been playing the game and like, let's bring it to the table. You know, area one is you enter Baldur's Gate. Great. Now there's, you know, 12 different locations you can go to and it's up to you how you want to do that. But each location you go to sort of affects what happens at a different location, right? Um, it's not quite that complicated, but, uh, there's a decent structure that you can sort of crib from you know that is and like we we need to keep going or we're going to be here all night but like that is something that i remember doing a lot more with uh like second and third edition adventures mm-hmm. was like that need that you needed to like go through and diagram the story a little bit to like make sure you fit it all together and you understood it which on one hand is like oh yeah no they didn't do any of that work for you but on the other hand like at least you could you know, like <laughs> at least it did all fit together, even if you had to parse it yourself. Um, it's just a very different style. Now, I I will say, right, if you go through the criteria that we basically just listed of like what is good and what is bad in a published adventure, right? If it is self-contained and tells a coherent story and makes the player's choices matter and leads you toward a final confrontation with a cool antagonist, well, there's probably only really one what i would call i guess good adventure in the 5e canon so far even though there are a lot of problems that you need to change and that is curse of Strahd. i was gonna say yeah <laughs> <You> just <laughs> um <laughs> yeah that's actually probably the answer that's probably the best 
Adventure uh, and 5e. Yeah, and get get like the the reprint, right? That like yeah, get that gets rid of the story like, stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? And like some of the like you know, um a disability marginalization. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's... Uh, and then, you know, really 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 tone down uh Strahd's like inability to understand consent at your table. No, what right? are you talking about? Have you not heard any of the Baldur's Gate 3 discourse? Like, that's oh, in now. <laughs> People love that again. Strahd's fine. Cool. Great. He's, he's just villain Astarian. We, 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 he hasn't changed at all. Uh, but time, <laughs> yeah. time has leapfrogged him. Right. It's come back right. around. Look at the world we live in. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh, my God. All right. Thanks for those questions. Okay, so next up, a uh, question from Pete, a longtime listener and also someone who's been rolling dice in pretend universes for over three decades. Does that make me a grognard? Yes, Pete. Yes. The answer is yes. Uh, only, if, only if you want to be. Only if you want to be. Fine. Fine. Different Difference of opinion. My only question is this. How can players and DMs manage game time better? As a DM, my games always seem to take wildly longer than I expect them to. For example, what I think is a three-session plot arc takes 12 sessions. How can I keep up momentum without having my players feel railroaded? As a player, what are some good practices to keep the story moving but not give up on your character's autonomy? So to frame things, my home group is four old friends who've been playing together for decades. We rotate being the DM and play weekly online using a virtual tabletop. There's no table drama outside of the odd rules discussion, and we have a good time. Yours in solidarity that the Forgotten Realms sucks. Uh, shout out to Pete, who knows all about the Forgotten Realms. <laughs> um, you are asking the wrong people because every time that we've played <laughs> any type of uh, any type of actual play, we have grossly misunderestimated it. So, oh, absolutely, not good at that. I mean, I will say, like, part of this is does it matter? Like, if mm. your group is four old friends and you've been playing together for decades, and like that's the fun, then like who cares right like fine take if, you're, if you're having fun yeah yeah like if if the players are having fun then like the the timing doesn't matter but i think it's a matter like as a dm it's figuring out like where are you losing the time right what's the activity that's taking time at the table is it that you know your players all know each other and they're joking around you're making in jokes well like that's probably your game group right like that that's probably the game you just don't get as much game time you have hang time and that's fine um if it's that like they can't make decisions then like you can just introduce a timer right to like drive them towards decisions if it's that they relitigate the past then like nope sorry that's done we're not going back over that the decision has been made we're moving forward right like you could police like the behaviors that are specifically slowing it down but it's probably not a problem um you're probably the only one scoring yourself on this. Now, if, you know, it's bothering you, uh, and, you know, I think this can definitely be the case where the thing that's bogging you down is, you know, something logistical that you're trying to put your finger on or, like, you know, sessions are sort of feeling lackluster or thin because not enough is happening or... Uh, another thing that'll happen is, you know, six sessions into a three shot, people are like, what are we even, so what, what are we doing here again? I've sort of lost the thread and then that compounds itself, right? Um, some things to do to sort of keep things tight are just recognize that 
this is going to happen. It's not a you thing. It's a it's a GM thing. It's a, an RPG thing. It's a it's an introducing other people to a single person story thing. It always happens. It's always going to happen. So just write less. Or if you're running a published adventure, cut, 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 cut. Um, uh, and same thing with plot threads that develop through the game, right? It's mm -hmm. like you don't have Prune to pay off everything. Like if you haven't heard about it in a while, forget it. <laughs> like, right. Your, your, your players don't care about it or like stick it in your back pocket for, you know, the big reveal or next, uh, next three shot, you know? Right. right. Uh, and players like, you know, one, are you, are you staying on task? Not only in terms of like in real time, table time, but are are your characters sort of using their time effectively uh, like you know i i have a tendency to be a a completist right so i want to chase down every single thing i want to right hand rule every single room and often that's not necessary because hey the gm has not imagined walls for this room you know right. it's it's a dot <laughs> on a flow chart <laughs> so and i think with four old friends you can just maybe even if you need to do a little above the table talk and just be like yo um, we would all like to keep this moving and get to the good stuff, right? Great. There's nothing else here. Yeah. It's not yeah, important. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that is one thing like you can, if, if you have players that have that habit, um, you can expand the scope of roles to incorporate more of that bad behavior, right? Like if you have the player who's using the 10 foot, 10 foot pole and going five feet at a time and checking every surface and like doing all that, it's like, well, that's what dungeoneering was for, right? Like you make one check and it covers a segment of the dungeon, right? And I, I don't know what you knowledge dungeons or whatever now, like uh, history, I guess. I don't know. Perception, search, whatever, investigation, like whatever the skill is that's going to cover that activity, right? But like just roll it into a skill, right? Or better yet, like, oh, you're proficient in this. Like, yeah, no, you don't miss that. Like, right. you, you or, are 100% sure there are no secrets, like, moving right. on. Right. Or just like, hey, so this character is very wary. So they are always checking everything. There's right. no way that they don't, like, check a door or check a pressure plate or check an arrow slit. All right. Like, right. That you, just you'll always happen. get a like, cool. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like, great. That's that's part of your character. You've made that RP decision. That's that's what we're yeah. going to do. And like, I'm not going to like surprise you with that kind of stuff. That's because that's not interesting or meaningful for your character. Yeah. A and like, I think that the, so the heart of your question, right, is, is this piece here? How can I keep up momentum without having my players feel railroaded? It's okay sometimes just to railroad them. Sometimes <laughs> players want to be railroaded. Also, right? if they make a choice and you force them forward, <laughs> following that choice, it's not railroading. It's what right. they asked yeah. for. <laughs> it's like the, it's like one of the most common mistakes where it's like, well, I don't know. Like the players should have agency. And it's like, no, they got on the track. It said it was going to the next town. Take them to the next town. Like, mm -hmm. don't tell right. me about the, you know, the misadventures we had along the way. They said they're going to the next town. Just get them there. That's what I hate about random encounters is they're like random oh, distractions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like. Oh, well, you know what? There, then that actually could be the entire issue here, actually, is are you using random encounter tables? Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Um, and then as a player, like good practices to keep the story moving. Like it, it, it's always helpful to have somebody who picks up the plot, 
right? Who's just like, cool, like whatever it is that the GM is trying to accomplish here, my character buys in, right? If we're supposed to chase Mm -hmm. these guys, cool, I want to chase them. If we're supposed to like go kill this, you know, villain, I want to go hunt down and kill this villain. If we're supposed to go save this kingdom, then fine. Like I'm going to go save the kingdom, right? Like if we're supposed to have a moral quandary, I'll buy into the moral quandary, whatever it is, right? Like it's always, if you don't have somebody who's embracing the plot, then embrace the plot. If you've got people who are embracing the plot, cool. Like just keep moving forward. Um, And then the other, like my personal bad habit is that I go for every low hanging joke that gets flung out there. And that just derails literally every bit of exposition or comp, like conversation so bite your tongue i guess is what i need to do um (laughs) and eventually i try to just be like okay i made my joke we could go back to it now like i i got mine we could go (laughs) like (laughs) right like yeah make the joke and bounce uh and then and then back in character um and that's the thing like if there isn't someone in character who want who wants to be on the adventure and wants to find out how it ends be be that one make mm-hmm. all of you should be on the adventure cuz you want to be or you know pointedly don't want to be and yet by fate are carried along <laughs> correct anyway right 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 you like the the protestations about not wanting to go on the adventure can be funny but they shouldn't stall or actually prevent anything from happening if anything actually your protestations should make it more likely that the plot continues right exactly all right uh next up we have from merc what are some gaming pitfalls or fails you have made and how can you avoid them not so much the rpg horror stories but stuff that sounded fun when prepping ended up falling flat like expecting the party to be captured or run away uh, in a similar vein, how do you handle monsters that have stun abilities? Things like mind flares and hold person can mean a player misses out on multiple turns of combat, which can mean they're just sitting there for 30 minutes or an hour or more doing nothing but making a single saving throw. We've had, I think, episodes before about our RPG horror stories. So yes, we don't necessarily need to get into those. Um, my The first like fail, I think, that sort of comes to mind, and I'm sort of interested to get your perspective on this, Shane, because uh, you were playing in... Um, in this session was actually it was horrible back in, i hated it i almost quit gaming forever uh i wish you had uh that was, that I was would the never whole point. that kind of favor <laughs> god damn it i know uh it was way back uh when we were playing morning glory and without like too many spoilers um the party had finally confronted nistrum shadar but this was uh, due to time travel shenanigans, he didn't know who you were, but you knew who he was. And my expectation was that, you know, all of you would be like, okay, well, haha, you know, maybe we'll, you know, use our knowledge of him to, I don't know, get one over on him or trick him into doing something or get information out of him because he doesn't know that he needs to be wary of us or whatever, right? But what you guys did was you rolled up and said, great, we try to kill him we're going to fight him. And I was just like, ah, but you guys, like, you know that he's at least like a 14th level Rakshasa and you're not. And, you know, I tried in, you know, character, right? Quote unquote character to dissuade you or to give you other, other options. And 
you can see him just really gung-ho about wanting to kill this guy. So I had you fight, but he absolutely schooled all of you because of course he did because like his abilities far outmatched you. But like we played out an entire session of him just beating all of you down and it was a slog and I think nobody liked it and I didn't like it. And I was just like, why isn't this over? And, and then the, the worst part was right at the end, um, Steph's character is like, great. I dimension door to get the heck out of here. All right. And I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like <laughs> the only way we get out of this is when I knock all of you unconscious and throw you in jail and we do a jailbreak uh, session. Okay. So like, uh, fine. I don't know what's 500 feet in that direction. I guess I'm going to roll for it. Why am I rolling for it? Don't, don't <laughs> roll for it. Just, just, oh, just let it end. <laughs> right. Oops. Your dimension door doesn't work. It's a solid wall. Uh, fail. He stabs you. You're unconscious. Like if I was going to go down the whole, the whole, like he's going to beat you down turn by turn, roll by roll. Right. What of course I should have done is just been like, a, above the table, no, you can't beat him, you know you will die. Or B, hand wave, uh, pretty perfunctorily. Um, he takes a few good swipes at you so that you get like a feel of like his abilities so the next time you know how to defeat him, and then he casts sleep, and you guys are asleep, you know? Yeah, I think, I, I think that would have been the right way to do it um, so that when we fought him the next time, we would have that sense of accomplishment, right? But But I do think like we we earned a round to throw everything at him and for him to just casually flick us aside and then leave and like we were fated so he couldn't kill us and he knew that so like there's reason for him to not you know just end the campaign in that moment <laughs> right uh what you had not earned what no one deserved was seven rounds of right. fighting it out <laughs> Uh, yes. Which, you know, I realized pretty quickly in hindsight. Um, as far as monsters that have stun abilities, they suck. That's why they're called save or suck spells. It's why they weren't supposed to be in 5th edition. It's why it was one of the biggest disappointments of the edition was that they came back uh, when they were initially supposed to have been removed. Um, yeah, they're just bad. Uh, there's like no two ways about it. They're not fun for players. They're fine to use against monsters. Um, but completely removing player agency is just annoying uh probably the only carve out for that is um if you can you know possess somebody and uh then you can make them <laughs> give them the freedom to attack their friends uh that's fun for like a round and then that's also annoying think of it from the perspective of you know okay i'm sitting at a table and i've carved out this in real lifetime to to play i honestly would rather be attacking my friends <laughs> right <laughs> and rolling dice than doing nothing yeah <laughs> right and like strategizing with the rest of the party about like how do we mitigate this you know or being like wait 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 don't you have something that gives me like an extra save or a bonus or something right or like oh if you stab me does that give me another you know what i mean that's as and opposed that's, to just like i stand here and do nothing and that's the thing is that like there aren't enough there aren't enough ways to mitigate that part of it built into yeah. the game yeah, in a way that, that isn't just like I have to dedicate myself to just countering this, you know, and like mm -hmm. it's just it's the cost of of being able to do that is too high. And also, like, honestly, like there are unmakeable saves. 
you know like you quickly yeah. run upon unmakeable saves if if it's your weak saving throw so you know i, I don't know like it's a it's a mess it's a design error the issue the solution is don't do it uh unless the party has you know um items probably that are specifically um helpful in ending those types of spells and you don't lose more than a turn but even losing a turn feels awful yeah because even at like a normal size table that can be half an hour of game time yeah. you know um and i think this sort of flows into the next part of uh merc's question uh how do you feel about monsters casting silvery barbs i've threatened my players that if they take it monsters will too but it seems it but it still feels way too mean to use against them. It usually turns a hit or critical into a miss and it becomes a feels bad. Is there a supporting way to use this as a GM? I think we we just need to realize that monsters and PCs do not need to have parity of ability. Mm-hmm. It is okay to run them with different rules. It is okay for the world to treat them differently. So it is fine if monsters get stunned. It's not okay if players get stunned. It is fine if players use silvery barbs against monsters and remove a critical hit. That's awesome, actually. That's what I want to happen when someone casts silvery barbs. Uh, I don't want the monsters to use it because that just takes all the fun away from players who already made a good role and now have to try to make a crappy role. And and uh, like it's the it's the enduring monster math right is that like a given monster is intended to die the pc has to win every single fight Mm -hmm. right and so like every attack every action has to like be valuable to the pc if a if a monster whiffs it the entire fight who cares there's another monster in the next room right yeah have you 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 ever had that happen like (laughs) right have you ever had it happen where like the DM just rolls terribly? It's actually a lot of fun for the players. Yeah. And also like, like never if they hit. get to use silvery barbs and make you like make you the chump, right? Like, oh, I outplayed you. Who cares? <laughs> like you that's it's trivial to kill players. You're the DM. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poison their drinks. It's game night. It's your house. No, I mean, <laughs> um, it's easy to kill PCs. Yeah, spend the entire session beating them down. Right. <laughs> Just stun them. <laughs> right. Now you're still stunned. Wait, what's the DC? 108. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but yeah, Sil- Silvery Barb's strong spell, but let players use it. All right. Question from Nick. Hi there. I found your podcast about a year ago and have been making my way through the backlog since then. You guys do an awesome job, and it's been great to listen to your stories, thoughts, and advice to keep my RPG juices flowing while I spend all day being full-time dad for my very determined and overly mobile 10-month-old. I've been full-time dad for a few uh, months now during our transition, and uh, I feel ya. I feel ya. Yeah, I didn't have overly mobile uh, infants, and I'm thankful for that. (laughs) I just listened to episode 159 about vehicles, and if you got a moment, I have a question about ship combat in Edge of the Empire games. Oh, okay. This is a little specific. We might need to do some research and get back to you, Nick, about the specifics of this question, but let's talk about the general. Do you have thoughts on the ship combat system in the rulebook? It seems intended to mirror the more narrative-focused style of combat at the character level, but there are so many new actions to learn that I'm afraid it will bog things down if everyone's not committed to learning them, which I don't think they will be. Correct. I only ran one. Yes, correct. I only ran one space combat before from Edge of the Empire, beginner adventure, and I remember it feeling like kind of a slog with everyone trying to learn what they could do. 
Correct. Either use that system or found ways to simplify it without entirely eliminating the mechanical elements of ship combat. I'd like to have some on occasion, but not make it a focus. Yeah, I vaguely remember how this works um, because of the System Mastery episode on Edge of the Empire. <laughs> uh, and I, I also vaguely recall that I have played one adventure with the ship combat rules. I believe it is a fairly, like, kind of standard, like, every class is supposed to have something to do on the ship so you you break up the roles on the ship and everybody does a thing that's supposed to contribute to the overall success if i recall um if not this is going to be bad advice uh for edge of the empire but good advice for those types of games which is they suck uh one of those roles always has way more agency than the others the other ones are always reduced to just rolling dice uh you're in i mean in ffg star wars you're looking to try and figure out what advantages and edges and, and different things like you can get out of making a engines check you know it's like what i don't even understand what we're doing here um there's no sense of drama or space uh or or like you know distance or like angle to to a space fight it's it's bad it's, it's, it's what it is um i i don't think systems tend to do this well unless you are your ship so i like guess each... my answer is give everybody a ship <laughs> make it dog fighting um i think that's definitely one way of handling it and then it's just you know you're just playing in space on your grid right yeah but but then you know i mean you have to make the players learn the actions which is always the problem is you're learning a subsystem of you know uh limited value in the long term yeah yeah and you know you run into the same problem with like naval ship combat right mm -hmm. is there is there a perfect system absolutely not but you're you're going to run into one of two things when you're trying to have this in your game either your game has no rules for it and you're just making it up on your own or your game does have rules for it and you're going to need to either jettison them entirely and make them up on your own or uh, or edit them. And I think, you know, if you if you already have them incorporated in the system, I I would tweak them. Um, but in general, just like loosen the rules would be my advice. Loosen like who is able to do things when things are able to happen what the consequences of those actions can necessarily be because they often tend to be super granular right like what will happen is you have the pilot who's in charge of flying and decides where you go and like where you point uh and also whether or not you live or die all of you <laughs> right <laughs> right and if the pilot succeeds then great you're fine if the pilot fails you all die right uh or uh, you're the gunner, in which case, like, who cares if you hit the TIE fighter, you know, because, like, I guess you'll just hit the TIE fighter next time, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Or the engineer, where really a lot of those are like, I'm trying to make up stuff for me to feel useful. And that just ends up with the system being like, hey, here's a way that uh, we've just decided to penalize your ship else. entirely <laughs> exactly. so that your engineer can fix it, you know, right. to get you back to zero. Yeah, I am... Um, um, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I've I've had good ship combat in a much more narrative style game like uh Blades in the Dark or the the um Star Wars version of it. 
uh, scumability. scumability. Yep. Yeah. That's um, what I was going to say, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's, there isn't like a ship combat system, right? It's just, it's the same old system of like, okay, what is our position? Uh, what, what, um, what, what actions are we going to take? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And then everyone can contribute to the like success or failure of, you know, filling a clock or, you know, meeting a goal or defeating an enemy or whatever, right? And and it isn't that the pilot is only able to determine what hex in space we're in or how fast we're going or, you know, what kind of like evasive maneuver we take. And it it's like, hey, the pilot can do whatever the pilot wants to do, whether that's like take us really far so that we win in a chase clock or, you know, they punch it really quickly and like the the killer droid who's trying to murder everyone on the ship gets knocked over and like we start filling that clock. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. And like the engineer isn't only able to be like, hey, I'm fixing the ship. Yeah, you can fix the ship. That's perfectly fine. You can also like attack the droid because you're the engineer or, you know, a host of other options because it's narrative and open and no one is telling you what you can or can't do. It's just a conversation between you and the GM about like, how would this look and would it be cool? Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say is like, I would probably just turn it into something of like a skill challenge kind of, uh, encounter where, yeah, like throw, throw some clocks up. Right. And let the players take whatever action they want and keep resetting the narrative context of the encounter around a dogfight or a, a chase through an asteroid field or, you know, desperately trying to fix the hyperspace, uh, or the hyperdrive before like you're shot out of the sky or, or whatever the context is, right? That way it's not about, can you hunt down the two TIE fighters before they blow up your smuggler ship, right? Like there's some TIE fighters, there's some, you know, capital ships, there's some problems, there's a gravity well, like you've got to deal with all of these. There's lots of things everybody can do. You don't have to address all of them. You just have to do enough good that you've, you know, cleared time to make the hyperspace calculation and punch the jump. Great. <laughs> you know, like that's the excitement of a Star Wars combat to me. It's not about the, the like, you know, the, the pixel big of the, uh, of the fight sequence of the flying sequence, you know, it was like, it kind of has like underwhelming dog fights anyway. <laughs> like the, yeah, the, right. the stakes of the dog fighting in Star Wars is what's exciting. It's not the actual dog fighting for the most part. So in general, you're right. People aren't going to learn that new system. And what's going to happen is like either you or the rules lawyer will be continually pointing out to everybody, you know, what their capabilities are and what their optimal choice will be. And bleh. yeah. Next up is from heavy meds. I've got one. How has the home group adjusted to Ishan moving to Italy? No one cares. <laughs> Has the virtual tabletop experience gained during the pandemic let things continue smoothly, or did they use it as an opportunity to shed some dead weight? Um, little column A, little column B. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, the your move to Italy has coincided with us playing Pathfinder Two, mm -hmm. um, which is a game that three quarters of the group has no interest in learning. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, however, I am one of the ones who who is has been learning it. So, <laughs> yeah. and so that I think has has been sort of the majority of your gaming because you're you're waking up at like one o'clock in the morning to play overnight with us, 
and you are available for more games than half of our group at the moment. Honestly, um, because at one in the morning, the baby is sleeping. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you get to do a lot of the off-cycle gaming because we have handed you the Excel spreadsheet that tracks all of our loot and all of our equipment and nobody knows what any of their consumables are but you do so you get to tell us what we have <laughs> yeah i know what every consumable does it does half its list price in gold <laughs> um so that has been uh it has been fun to just be able like for once to not have ishin working against me and to just be like ishin here's my money what do i buy uh-huh uh-huh and be like nothing keep it save it <laughs> Rainy day fund. You're getting some runes, baby. Sure. I don't know what any of that means. I believe you. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, you know, I, I will wake up and, you know, a lot of uh, intercession activity uh, happens uh, on Discord in like private channels. So like I'll wake up and uh, see like what has been happening. Um, and it's ridiculousness. Some of your decisions, not you specifically, Shane, but like the group's decisions. I decisions, never make like, decisions. My character no, right, yeah, does not make Finder, decisions because no. I show up late to everything. <laughs> so there's no point in me weighing in. I'm just like this, but, but that was objectively bad. And, you know, to, to Cam's credit, who's running the game, he you know, does try to warn people that that's probably an objectively bad situation but i am not there to say what might be an objectively good one and so <laughs> so we go with the bad happen. one <laughs> <laughs> it is the quest it is the the option in front of us and so we take it yes uh here's one from shinigami for ishin specifically biggest culture shock in italy when you arrived oh that's interesting um hmm, okay if you if you will allow me um i can't stop you that's right. It's impossible. And I'm, I'm the one posting this. Uh, so, so I think when, you know, if you like read guides about, oh, what to do in Italy or what not to do in Italy, you know, th there's all this information about like, oh, make sure you never ask for uh, dairy on, on your seafood. No, no cheese on seafood. And, you know, people will look at you askance if you order a cappuccino in the afternoon you know, after 11 a.m., blah, blah, blah. And like, I don't know, maybe, I guess, at, like, a tourist spot where, like, part of the appeal is, like, being looked down on by, like, a lo local barista. But, like, the the thing that has been the biggest shock to me, because we, we were, I think, relatively well prepared by, like, my partner's colleagues who, like, already live here about what to expect, um, is those of you who listen to the show know that I am not, like, by any means a capitalist. Uh, but coming to Italy has made me feel like John Galt, <laughs> where I'm just like, hi, I would like to give you some money for a service. Why can this not happen? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have, I, I, I traveled abroad, like for the first time, I think I was in like middle school or high school and I quickly learned the value of the tipping system and I will like... I think, you know, waitstaff is criminally underpaid and I wish restaurant workers made more money. But also, I think they should continue working for tips because like, <laughs> because there's something about the service when you know you're making more money. If you turn that table over, that means I get to leave 45 minutes earlier each night. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it like I I've never been in a situation where like I felt like I was the least chill person in the room. <laughs> but literally every single Italian person that I have met here has been so chill to the point where I I'm like like um you know, we're, we're like looking for an apartment, you know, like a, a long-term apartment while while we're sort of like in, in transitory housing. Nobody works on the weekends and nobody works between uh, 12.30 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. <laughs> so, okay, when am I supposed to go look at these apartments? You are Tuesdays. a realtor. Literally, <laughs> literally. Tuesdays between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. You know, like I, I'm used to New York real estate where like you need to go look at an apartment with your broker at the same time that someone else's broker is also right. like, showing yeah, a, I, a different person and you need to show up with a bank check in hand I was gonna to say, give yeah. to them on the <laughs> exactly. spot. Yes. You better be you better have money in hand. <laughs> right. And like also and that's not just New York City, right? Like I think we all know a friend who like later in life turned to real estate, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh and and like they are hustlers. You know, like they are working all of the time to like close deals. No realtor in Italy is trying to close a deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the deals that close it, when they close. <laughs> when they literally like, oh yeah, you know, um, oh, you're interested in the place that you saw. Great. Uh, they have someone staying there uh, on the 9th through the 13th. So maybe we can talk in two weeks. <laughs> and I'm just like, I need housing and <laughs> right. i have money and it just does it doesn't matter it yeah. doesn't matter at all so and, and like it isn't just frustrating sometimes it's like charming and cool and whatever and then sometimes you're just like oh wow i've never felt so american like it um my daughter started preschool here like bilingual preschool and like they're having like a grandparents day and you're like, oh, that's, that's cool. Like grandparents will come in and teach them, you know, traditional, whatever, you know, skills, uh, for a day or whatever. And I'm like, you know, obviously we're overseas, so no grandparents are available. Right. Uh, and like in Brooklyn, there would be contingencies. They'd be like, you know, well, not every child has a grandparent or a grandparent available. And so, you know, if, you know, you're looking for a different person to come in, you know, we, we can vet them, just fill out this application for whatever. No, no, no one at school has thought, what if a kid doesn't have a grandparent? Cause every kid has a grandparent cause it's, <laughs> cause it's Italy. And oh, but at the same time, I could just roll up to that school with literally any old person and be like, <laughs> hi, this is, this is my daughter's grandparent. They'd be like, oh, okay. No sign-in, no no paperwork, no IDs, no vetting. Nobody cares. They just let you walk into the school. And, like, you know, obviously, this is not America post-Columbine, right? So, like, nobody's super terrified all the time. I mean, they, you know, they lock the doors, but, you know, they they would just let a person in. I could also just be like, hey, this is uh, not the grandparent, but is it fine? And and they would probably, probably they would look at me like I was a crazy person and be like, Yes, of course. Yes, of course it's fine. Why, <laughs> right. why are you asking me? The the refrain that people don't necessarily say, but if you press them, the refrain is, uh, uh, it's Italy. Everything is okay. <laughs> like, whatever you want to do, you can, you can just do it. Like, it, you know, I've, I've spent some time in Japan and like, there's a right way to do things. And if you ask people, they will tell you the right way to do things. They're happy to share that with you. And then you can do things the right way if you don't want to like cause offense. And here, there's no right way to do things. 
And if you ask people what's the right way to do things, they'll be like, uh, uh, how you want to do it? Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then, like, when you do the thing the way that, however you want to do it, or however you figure out how to do it, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. About anything like there's never been a time when i like order a thing or can't speak the language or whatever that anyone has batted an eye oh i so, feel strongly so that it's, i it's understand why their empire fell apart because <laughs> they, they probably couldn't be bothered you know yeah, could be and bothered yet, to, to continue collecting the taxes i guess it does seem like a lot of work yeah. and and look the whole country gets a take off the month of august so <laughs> right it's got stuff going for it <laughs> maybe i'll get taxes on tuesday yeah, maybe. And if not, then the next Tuesday. <laughs> All right. And I think to wrap us up, we have, again, as is tradition, um, a lightning round. Yeah. From friend of the show, Matt Perotti. So uh, these are these are aimed uh, at, at each of us. And then there's some questions for both. So first one is for Ishan. What's the most amazing thing you've eaten on your new continent thus far? Uh, could it be the week that i spent drinking non-caffeinated barley coffee instead of actual coffee <laughs> because i can't read italian yes i thought Is that there was your picture? biggest culture shock <laughs> uh that i was so angry i was so not when i found out i was so angry that whole week when i was unbeknownst to me uncaffeinated <laughs> never never again although honestly barley coffee kind of delicious gross shane how many 40k points are you sitting on these days? Uh, painted, painted at all, or like minimum, probably like 1800, 2000. Um, but then like total, probably like closer to 4,500 or 5,000 points. I don't know. I have a huge backlog and I've started, I stripped a bunch of models that I wanted to repaint. So I, it's, it's a mess. Uh, the only functioning army I could build is Space Marines. I don't have enough to make a uh, a Votan army yet. So for for context, like what would you normally bring to a table? Two thousand to, to play a game. Two thousand army okay. is two thousand. Yeah, uh, Ishan, the original magic item you are proudest of making. Oh, that's easy. Heart Spark, um, the magic item that I gave Brand Talandro in Morning Glory that he promptly traded for Robes of the Arch Magic. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. I'm proudest yep. of you for that too. <laughs> I, I thank you for the rose of the arch magic. <laughs> I made them myself. <laughs> Shane, are highwaymen just land pirates? Uh, no, because pirates uh have to exist and uh coexist and work together for long stretches at sea, um, and they live in their workplace, uh, which is a much more egalitarian than just uh you know highway roving bandits. So, um. And right on cue, uh, late in the evening as we were recording, as I said at the top, I still have a kid who isn't sleeping through the night. So if you hear any sounds in the background, that is the kid in my lap who is having a bottle in the middle of the night. Free pod baby for all of you. Yeah, we've done it. Uh, okay, I think we are now into the both section of our lightning round. All right. If you could stick your co-host with a nom de guerre, what would it be? Hmm. All right, Shane, given your penchant both for libertarian economics and cowboys, I'm going to call you Adam Smith and Wesson. Oh, that's nice. I was going for like the invisible 
ham of the market. Oh, mm, thanks. Big Big B's invisible ham. Mm-mm. Anybody who's ever met you has Uh-oh. thought you were younger than you are, mm-hmm. which is perhaps your most defining quality, the fact that you're actually an <laughs> 85-year-old man who looks 35. So I think I would call you the young ancient. I'll take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me and Asterion out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's, it, is it your nom de guerre or is it your rapper name? Who knows? Young agent. A little bit of both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, Y-U-N-G. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Great. Great. All right. Favorite underappreciated wild shape? Uh, orca. Wait, why is it underappreciated? It's terrible. Uh, no, it's the uh, highest mass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is valuable. Sometimes big is important. <laughs> My favorite part of um, wild shape is applying real world, real world, real world physics. Uh-huh. So agree. Um, for me, we talked about this a bit with um, when we're talking about the D and D movie. Um, anything really small, because the thing I I like about wild shape is that it doesn't restrict you to things in the book necessarily it's you can you can be anything like if you want to be a flea you can you just need to be an animal you need to be mm-hmm. you can be something that is just honestly impossible to find without magic mm-hmm. uh you're the perfect scout um but if if we're gonna say something specifically from the book i'll say across the board spiders any kind of spider amazing mm-hmm. right you can you can hide you can jump you can spin webs uh you can crawl on ceilings like it it is the best way to get anywhere you want if you have an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, that climb speed is also like uh, very uh, underrated. Mm, yeah, yeah, totally. Good climb, climb in general. Absolutely. All right. Favorite game or time-wasting app on your personal communication device? Uh, it's probably TikTok. <laughs> That's so bad. I have, yeah. I have no games on my phone anymore. Um, but uh, I guess Immaculate Grid is probably the thing I waste time on nowadays, which is uh, it's like a nine box of uh, it's for different sports. But like, you know, the left hand side will have like three sets of teams. The right hand or the top side will have three different teams. And then you've got to fill in the nine boxes with a player who played for both teams. It's a fun little like remember some guys kind of uh, exercise. <laughs> That uh, sounds like the last thing I'd like to play. Yeah, well, I, yes, you would have no context for it. But yeah, I like to play it with football and uh, and soccer. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Uh, what do you think of the Rebel Moon trailer? So Rebel Moon is uh, Zack Snyder's um, Star Wars, basically. Uh, Zack, it's Zack Snyder, right? I don't know. I have not. Uh, yes, I believe so. But I have not seen the trailer. Uh, okay. Well, uh, it is Zach, whoever the director is, who I'm confirming right now, and definitely not just vamping for time. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, it's Zack Snyder. It's it's basically it's the Star Wars, the movie that he would make if he were able to make a Star Wars, right? And if he had actual uh, creative control of Star Wars, because that's sort of the, the the problem of Star Wars is that it's you know it's such a big brand, it's kind of creative by committee. Um, you're always like indebted to all of the different 
generations of fan opinions of what Star Wars is, and it's too many things to too many people. So this this is his sort of like, I've stripped the Star Wars out of it, but if I were going to make a Star Wars movie, it would be Rebel Moon. Um, I think it looks interesting. I will definitely be watching it uh, when it comes out. It, uh, it wouldn't take much, in my opinion, but it could be Zack Snyder's best movie yet. <laughs> and you know what? The competition for good Star Wars movies is low. I, you know, I've realized that nobody likes the Star Wars that I like anymore. <laughs> Which is the Star Wars that you like? I so I like Phantom Solo. Menace. I like Solo, oh, okay. and I liked uh, I liked uh, Rogue One. Uh, well, I think by and large, people like Rogue One. Um, you're right; people don't really like Solo. Famously, like they were like, "Oh no, this is this movie's terrible. We need lots of reshoots. This this we can't do this. This is a mess." Yeah, well, I don't know what the original vision was, and Andor, which is you know, basically Rogue One, right? Or, or what Rogue One could have been, could right? Have been. Is yep. is the best Star Wars media, period. Um, it's okay. You can disagree. You will be wrong, but you can disagree. No, I mean, I I think I just like Rogue One. I mean, Andor's good, but uh, I think I just you know, there's something to be said for getting in and out in an hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes i don't want to watch nine hours it's a it's a proper heist <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but andor is good andor is definitely good all right morden is going to make each of you a custom drinking horn from whatever creature you wish what is it uh narwhal biggest uh that just seems impractical though you know custom drinking horn yeah uh wasn't uh thor's like made from i don't remember i don't know it, it, the ocean was on the other end so yeah it's, it's supposed to be impractical <laughs> Um, where would i keep it in my villa <laughs> ibex Ooh, okay fun curvy horn mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm yeah. into it yeah i thought you might go for like you know the last black rhino <laughs> sure <laughs> now you're changing your answer <laughs> well i mean if it's available <laughs> I mean, if someone's gonna have it, if I can, oh, if I mean, if I can name the person they make the horn out of, sure, I'll take Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, we could do a lot of good with this game, but I thought there were rules. Pound of flesh, you say? Right, exactly. It just, I just need to be able to hollow out a bone, right? Okay, great. <laughs> ah, the marrow. Okay, uh, rice or potatoes? Uh, depends on the dish. Mm, mm. Um, I love a good potato, but I mean, I mean, look, I mean, I can say it like rice, obviously. <laughs> it's because you're Asian, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's absolutely rice. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, I'd probably put corn and then wheat before I get to potato in my uh, list of starches. Uh, so the, 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 the argument for potato for me is that mashed potatoes are just such a great feel-good food um, mm -hmm. that I, you know, like, th that's like an S-tier feel-good food for me um, that I do really love. But I think I like the versatility of rice. So, I, you know, there's like more dishes that I want rice in than there are dishes that I want potatoes in. Mm. I mean, you know, if you start throwing in like sweet potatoes and considering those part no. of the deal. No, then no, like... no, no, no. Stop. And some yams, if tubers in general, jicama. Now, uh, no, none of, a lot of none options. of those are potatoes. <laughs> they, we're, not, they we're, taters. Not, we're not lateral thinking this puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up, ducks or chickens for your homestead? Uh, 
<sighs> ducks. I think they're less noise, right? Hmm. Interesting. Ducks are mean and mean to each other. So I pick chickens. Ducks also have terrifying penises. They do. They do. They really do. Um, also, like, maybe this is just me. I feel like a duck egg is, like, just a little too big. Like, it's just a little more egg than you want. Mm. Whereas, like, a chicken egg is just right for one egg. Or, like, if you want a lot of egg, you could have two eggs or, you know, go go hog wild, right? But, like, two duck eggs, you're just like, okay, that's that's, like, a little too much omelet. You know well, what I mean? To to be clear, like I'm not keeping my ducks in a coop. <laughs> like these are ducks that are living in a pond on my homestead. I'm doing no work for these ducks. <laughs> I am not taking care. This is not a this is not an animal husbandry situation for me. So, so then what, uh, I will what's the point of to, the ducks? Uh, are they, they aesthetic or do you slaughter? I didn't have a choice of none. <laughs> they are aesthetic, yes. <laughs> uh well then you know d- ducks are a good choice for for aesthetics you got uh, your you got your wood duck i've been duck, duck hunting is fine i'll go duck hunting on my homestead i'll take i'll take ducks cool all right all right uh but i do think chickens are so noisy aren't they like i don't like if i i, I mean want to raise chickens that's you the... do need you do need a rooster like at least one rooster or at least the sound of one right, right. so that yeah that does mean you've got to deal with the, the cockadoodle do and that's a nightmare yeah and then you got the foxes you got to worry about it's just a whole oh foxes in that hen house and then you're like oh egads my hens right you're never like oh no all my ducks die yeah feathers everywhere no the ducks just fly away because they're not idiots trapped in a coop. right <laughs> right or you know it means that i've got a gator right well yeah Free gator. <laughs> Free gator. Can eat that too. <laughs> the homestead's equal and you opportunity. Know what? Tastes like the chicken, so yeah, exactly. don't eat the chickens. <laughs> All right, and lastly, can I run an adventure for Tez and friends one day? Look, I'm happy to bequeath you this ridiculousness. Okay? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. You two have at it. But I have a menagerie of friends. <laughs> yes, I know. I'll happily provide voices, but I don't need to make decisions. <laughs> uh, I <laughs> Sure, yeah, absolutely. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That's uh, the terrifying quack of ducks being devoured by an alligator. Oh. Okay, well, it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. And uh, before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Alice minus meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. In keeping with tradition, we have a ridiculous character creation forge for today. Clifford. Uh, I have it here. He is a big red dog uh, in equal parts. You're, you're not wrong about that at all. Clifford, uh, from the children's books, a comically large dog who gets into trouble, but then also out of it because of his size. size. <laughs> yeah.
also mm-hmm. is dark. <laughs> yes. And that's that's really it. I mean, what happens in the Clifford book? Clifford is big. Oh, my goodness. Look how big that dog is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. That thing isn't sized for that dog. Oh, wait a minute. This large dog is able to help us do a thing. Yay. Well. The end. Thanks for spoiling an entire series of books I haven't read to my kids yet. <laughs> don't have to, you don't have to read any of them. But save, nope. save me, save me nope. the trouble. Gonna see that ending coming a mile away. Uh, okay, so we do, however, ha- well, we I've got actually um, a couplet of builds here for <laughs> Clifford. Of course, of course, there's not just one build. <laughs> no, why would there just be one? There's the buy the book build, and then there's the ask your DM, this is the better build. I hate you. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right. What's the buy the book build? It is Giant Barbarian 14, Moon Druid 6. So Giant Barbarian. Shane, I don't know. Have you had a chance to look through Big B's blah, blah, blah of Giants? Um, Uh, There's a new Barbarian path in there. I have not. I will look it up right now uh, while you tell me what's in it. Well, I... Uh, both like it and dislike it in that if it existed in a vacuum, the path of the giant, I think, would be really cool because guess what it lets you do? It makes you big. Okay. Uh, except we already have something that makes you big. The enlarged so, reduce spell? <laughs> uh, Rune Knight. Oh. <laughs> so it just does Rune Knight, but honestly, I think it does Rune Knight a little better. Uh, else it does it earlier. Hmm. So just... Very briefly, let's see. Uh, you pick up the path at level three. Uh, you can add your rage damage bonus to thrown weapons. That's cool because, you know, you're chucking rocks, I guess, and your reach increases by uh, five feet while you're raging. Uh, and uh, you become large while you're raging. Again, so, right, that's like, a you know, for a minute, a few times a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can infuse some elemental damage, yeah, you can uh, hurl smaller creatures. That's super cool, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then, level fourteen, um, when you rage, uh, your reach increases by ten feet. You can go up to huge if you want to, and you can throw uh, larger creatures and you do a bunch more damage. But here's the thing: at level twenty, a barbarian has unlimited rages. You can always be raging, which means you'll just always be huge. Okay. That is not a thing that the Rune Knight is ever able to do. Um, Also, the Rune Knight can't get huge until I think level 18. Um, So this happens not just four levels earlier, but uh, happens in part of the game that people actually play. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It's like on the upper end of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I, I really feel like it just sort of like steps on the Rune Knight's toes a little too much. But like in and of itself, in like a vacuum, it's good. I like it. And Clifford is, of course, uh, going to be a, a giant barbarian so that he can ultimately uh, get up to huge, which is your capstone at uh, Barbarian 14. And Moondred 6, you know why this is here, so he can be a dog. Right. right? A, a big red dog, right. Uh, so uh, you take Moondred, so starting at level 2, you can wild shape, you can turn into a dog, like we talked about earlier. It doesn't need to be a dog in the book. You can just be, hey, I'm a dog, and there are stats for dogs. But probably if you're in combat, right, you need to know exactly what dog you are because you keep all your other barbarian abilities, reckless attack, unarmored defense, you Mm -hmm. know, the ability to like throw giant rocks, you know, and, you know, while you're a large dog and eventually a huge dog. 
So in order to pick which dog you're turning into, uh, the best choices at lower levels are going to be Mastiff, right? Because these are based on CR level. Mastiff, which is basically like a, like a CR one-eighth dog. Uh, above that, you've got Wolf and then dire wolf and then you can also just you know if you want to reflavor anything right anything up to cr2 which is what you'll be able to turn into at moon druid six um saber tooth tiger cave bear something along uh, those lines are going to feel very dog-ish i do find it strange that like dire wolf at cr1 is the highest that like canonical dogs in the monster manual or any 5e book go before mm -hmm. suddenly you're talking about like magic dogs that you can't turn into with with wild shape yeah 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 it's a little weird. However, mm -hmm. I would actually, if I were going to play Clifford, play Giant Barbarian 20. And now you may be asking, okay, sure, you can be huge all the time, but how are you a dog? Great question. You're not. You're not a dog. You just start playing your game at level one as like whomever you want to be. However, you are going to be either a bard, a druid, uh, an artificer, a thief rogue, or any full spellcasting class with either the mark of handling or the background Selesnaya initiate. Because what happens is most of these give you the awaken spell. Just play normally, play whatever you want, and then we can cast awaken at level nine. Awaken a dog, <laughs> a red dog if you want, whatever. Awaken a dog. Uh, it's charmed by you for thirty days. Befriend that dog. Be friends with that dog. It's your pet. It's your it's your friend. Okay. Um, earn its trust. Uh -huh. And then after 30 days, it becomes its own character. You okay. know, with like intelligence 10 and can make its own decisions and all of that. Right. Uh, switch. Jump off a cliff and that's my character now. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. I am now my animal companion. Uh, and look, if your GM just... Just give them, give them, give them class levels. It literally is not going to matter. Actually, they'll probably be a tiny bit weaker than like a regular like humanoid just like let them have class levels and just be like you know a dog barbarian and it'll be fine <laughs> uh valinar hound is also an option because you're not restricted to beasts right you right. just need to be something that can be awakened right i mean you could, you could be a tree if you really want you know whatever yeah yeah well the trees are a little op yeah actually yeah. actually you know vulnerable to fire but you can mitigate that right uh artificer gets this later i think it's level 14 you can use all magic items even if it's not for your class and then there's this staff of the woodlands which lets you cast awaken so you could use that and thief rogue also gets this at level 13 you can use the staff of the woodlands to cast awaken so that's another way to do it <laughs> oh delightful <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh and in terms of being red well lots of options precedent maybe yeah or you know is clifford a die job that's I mean, a big red secret maybe maybe mm -hmm. well the thing is clifford is a very old dog now <laughs> so like, that's true, that's true. <laughs> clifford's probably showing some gray <laughs> but gray not dog, in those yeah. pages <laughs> he's just not allowed to grow old tragic yeah mm. all right well you've done it congratulations mm -hmm. Thank you. And now, for... and now we we never need to do it again. But when you, dear listener, play Clifford, when your character jumps off a cliff and and you know seeds all of their wealth and land and titles mm -hmm. to their dog, please tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, a fitting end to a birthright campaign. <laughs> I did make my era tree actually. 
in our birthright campaign. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. <laughs> So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about how to crib for your campaign from Baldur's Gate 3. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Dark Urge. Well, that's it for episode 350 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 